RDI Insights. Mike Dempsey in conversation with Royal Designers. Hello and welcome to the RDI Insights podcast series, where I will be interviewing major figures in the design industry who have been made RSA Royal Designers for Industry, the highest accolade for a designer in the UK. The award was introduced in 1936 to highlight and honour the work of industrial designers for their sustained creative excellence and benefit to society. The surname Smith is the most common in the UK, with some 730,000 people carrying the name. But add to that the Christian name Paul, and the anonymity changes completely. Paul Smith has been part of the British fashion scene for over three decades, culminating in a knighthood for his services to the industry in 2002. But his journey started back in the bleak post-war years of Britain leaving school at 15 with no qualifications and dreaming of being racing cyclist, he whiled away his days working in a textile warehouse. His evenings and weekends were taken up with his passion for cycling. But all that ended with a serious accident, landing him in hospital for three months. But that stay was to change his life completely. Join me now to hear Paul Smith's fascinating creative journey. I spoke to him at his Covent Garden headquarters in London. You were born in um, Beeston in Nottinghamshire in, I think, 1947, although... 46, some... yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It seems to be 47, 46. Oh, oh depending... well, I, I'm all for 47. <laughs> OK, yeah. so, so it is I'm happy to, be, happy to be a year younger. No, I was born in July the 5th, 1946. And that means that, obviously, you're, you know, that was at the very end of the war uh, last year. So your early life would have been very much centred in the kind of austerity of post-war Britain, and all that that represented, i.e., you know, very black and white, very few cars, motorbikes. Yeah, I, I, I mean... Um, what was it like? Paint me a to, picture. Well, well, what's so interesting, well, not, well, probably sad, actually, is that um, I can't really remember anything about childhood at all. My memories of childhood were really started at the age of 11 when I got my first racing bicycle. Uh, <laughs> And um, I had a sister that was eight year, that is eight years older, and a brother that was eleven years older. So I was almost like an only child. And I think I, I don't know, but I can. I only think that I can't remember much about it because it didn't have any punctuation marks. It was all just nice. So, so what was it? What sort of background? Did, did I mean, just uh, going to the local school, yeah. um, go to the infant school, then to the secondary school, not passing any exams ever. Um, did you have any particular interests at um, school? The only thing I, c- I can remember enjoying really was was things like woodwork and yeah. metalwork and yeah. I can't even remember particularly liking art I know geography I, I liked although in hindsight I was hopeless <laughs> at it but I was interested in it so um, you're kind of drawn to practical things yeah I very much making 
Yeah, very much more yeah. to do with, um, you know, I like making a stool or a, a bowl or a yeah. candlestick or something in working on the lathe, uh, you know. But that probably was as a, t- as a teenager, actually. Yeah. No, I, I just, I mean, I just had a lovely, a mum who was very gentle and very, just uh, was at home all the time taking care of the children and a very lovely voice and very calm person. And my yeah. dad, who was very charismatic and very lively and fun. And I think it's because they were fine together. There was no arguments. There was no big events. So yeah. maybe that's why I just can't really remember too much about it. Of what course did I, your father do? What was his... He... he, he does I don't th- I don't think it exists anymore. He was what's called a credit draper, which was which meant that you you sold clothes to people and they paid you so much a a week. But yeah, it was which not, is very much a nineteen post war thing. That's yes, right. Yeah, it was very much of that. As I say, I'm not sure that it even exists anymore. He originally was a insurance salesman, yeah. and then that he built up what they used to call a round, which was just a, a, a selection of people that um, were interested in buying, and not just clothes, I mean, like things like sheets and pillowcases and curtains and, yeah. and then paying, you know, so much a week to, to get, the, get the clothes and the household goods. Yeah. And he used to go around every week and, and um, collect the money and talk to them. And um, I think that's why also, because that was very good for his character because he was so easy with people and yeah. so good at talking to people i really hope that i got a bit of that from him myself sure. so you you left school at 15 which is the, yeah. the norm in those days with no qualifications probably with no ambitions and from what i understand you it was your father who kind of pushed you into into getting a job yes that's right well i mean he, he said what he said do you want to go on to at 15, he said, do you want to go on to further education, which meant the polytechnic, yeah. the local polytechnic. And I said, no, I want to be a racing cyclist. Yes. And he said, no, that's not a proper job. Yes. So um, he wouldn't let me do that. And uh, he knew somebody who owned a clothing warehouse because of his his yeah. job. He spoke to the uh, the owner, and um, I, lit- I left school on the Friday and started work on the Monday. Well, it, <laughs> so, it, you know, it, just straight I, in there. If I recall, I mean, certainly from my own background, at that time, you know, I'm couple of years older than you but work seemed to be plentiful i could go from one job to another you know yeah. one day i was stockbroker's clerk next i was working in a factory you know right. it just seemed to be you know yeah. like that plenty. well i mean i literally left on friday and yeah. started on monday and you know that was it i was just the i was just the lad you know the runaround lad um yeah. going to the post office unwrapping parcels wrapping parcels um but that was terrific in in hindsight because yes. it was it was so uh, run in such a sort of um, careful way this warehouse because yeah. there was not a lot of staff you know and uh, it was quite a big building and uh, you know lights were switched off when nobody was in that room yeah. uh, the the paper from the parcels was reused on the opposite side yeah. uh, all the string the parcel was was undone you know mm. and you used the string again yes and so, uh, and old invoices were used as notepads, which I still do t- today somewhere. <laughs> you know, my old emails get used on the other side as, as notepaper. And so it, I think it was really, really great grounding, really. Just to, And especially when I opened my own shop, it was the fact that you understood about yeah, opening so somewhere at nine o'clock and closing somewhere at five yeah. o'clock. And so it was kind of, a, in a strange way, a sort of catalyst, maybe in a small way, but certainly from maybe structural and organisational, that sort of thing. For yes, what it, was to come many years later. Yeah, I mean, it was like an apprenticeship in a yeah. way. Now, you, you mentioned just now your love of cycling, and, of course, that was curtailed because you had a, 
a rather bad accident. That's right, yeah. At the what age happened? of uh, 17, I, I was out training one day uh, alone. And, um, you know, I, I hit a car, which I think was entirely my fault. I think I just had my head down and didn't notice it, you know. Uh, so this, but, these would have been lightweight racing bikes. Mm, you were really into the... Yeah, it was uh, a lovely, lovely um, lightweight racing bike called a Paramount. And it was, um, you know, I was taking cycling quite seriously. And so it was devastating for me because I broke, a, broke my femur, which in those days was pretty serious uh, you know now now they seem to fix them in, in a very short space of time but uh, but then it was um and it was a compound fracture so yes. it was pretty ghastly and uh, then you had to have your leg in traction with weights to pull your yeah. your leg straight again and reposition it so i was in hospital for i think it was about three months and yeah, i broke is a collarbone a, yeah. and a nose and fingers and you know so i did quite a lot of damage and um and during that period i really grew up a lot well like from what i understand you know as one says often out of adversity comes something yeah. good and you met you, you started to maybe your experience in hospital but you started to meet people who had a different vision that's right i mean there was two things really one in the hospital in the ward i was in it was the accident ward and nottingham which is my hometown and where i was in hospital uh, was a big coal mining area yeah. so there was a lot of coal miners in there that where they had roof falls and things so yeah. they, they and during my period in hospital i think 16 people died in my ward so oh. at the age of sort of 17 that was pretty yeah. uh, mind-blowing you yeah. know really focused your head on existence of, on I'm the sure. earth and then there was motorbike accidents and me with a bike accident um so it was a pretty grim ward and i did grow up from that point of view and then some of the people i actually met and wanted to keep in touch with after i uh, eventually got out they just uh, suggested that we you know we had a drink in in a in a pub in nottingham which i i didn't never used to drink so yeah. I, I wasn't familiar with it and they chose this pub and we met there a few times and then on about the third or fourth fourth visit i realized that the pub actually was full of very young people and and uh, starting chatting to them and realized they were at the local art school ah. and that was really the turning point really because i suddenly met people that were studying architecture fashion design graphic so this was design, an area of your mind that kind of was awakened you'd, you'd not been interested well in. my father was my father was a uh, an amateur photographer oh. and um he was the founder member of the beast and camera club mm-hmm. um my the small town where i was born and uh he you know he used to he used to take uh, take me up into his into the dark room he built oh. a dark room in the attic really? right and um do all his, all his own developing and printing and um and also, because of his character, he used to do a lot of trick photography and superimposing really? and things like that. So yeah. that, was, that was always uh, real fun. And I learned a lot from that. And so I got a camera uh, as a young, uh, young guy, uh, an Ilford, um, no, Kodak Retinet, I think it was called, a little camera when I was about 11 or 12 as well, oh, as okay. having a bike. Okay. And so there was that creative side. And, yes. uh, and also I used to go to lectures at the camera club and, uh, you know, I, I got to know, you know, somebody called Cartier-Bresson. Not, uh-huh. not personally, <laughs> yes. but I know of sure. this person. So you're, called, I mean, you were getting very visually Yeah, and then also my dad stimulated. often used to draw and, <clears throat> and uh, he was very creative in terms of, you know, fun and jokes yeah. and jokes and things so he used to draw on the back of an envelope or you know just to you know, if you're on a car journey sure. and, 
he'd get you to do doodle and things like that. So when you return back to everyday life after your three months in hospital, did you go back to the warehouse or? Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah. But you, I was at the where I went to the warehouse and then um, I met um, uh, a lot of the fashion students and one of the girls um, wanted to uh, open a little shop in Nottingham and her father was going to back her with the money uh, for this shop so she was going to design and make the clothes and and so I left the warehouse and uh, she employed me and I I went I found the premises for her because she said well I don't know I, I can design the clothes but I don't know how to run a shop and I said I can do that so this is even the, though the, I, the little boutique that you yeah the very that first I, one that you well that I worked that in you and worked then in, eventually then I you, my you own open one. your own so this so, was this I worked so I went to work for her and that and also was a big learning curve. So was it was it then that you your interest in fashion started? It was really? through the pub really. I mean were you because kids of you know 15 16 17 mm-hmm. certainly start to they zero in on clothes. Yeah. You know it was I think then it was so, so music, different. Music clothes and girls it yeah. seems to be at that yeah. point. But I think the the clothes were so fashionable clothes as such didn't really No exist too much in the provinces i mean i had a, so this would I, have been for you 60s early 60s, 60s. Yeah, yeah. Early 60s. so it would have been recollection it would, be would have been 61. called the modernist style before yeah. mods but yeah. it would have it, been italian yeah there were, i had my first suit was uh, was in probably in 1961 62 and it was called a san remo right. <laughs> the suit and it was from the warehouse actually right and it was a three button italian yes uh, suit that was based on all what you'd seen in Dolce Vita, exactly. Dolce Vita and all that. Yeah. Not that I'd seen the Dolce yeah. Vita until a lot later on. But um, And was it sort of at the time when winkle pickers were coming in? Just? Yeah, yeah, narrow ties yeah. and, and uh, you put brill cream in your That's hair it. and yeah. things like that. <laughs> so you, you, you then, a little later, you, you opened your, your own shop. Yeah, I worked for the lady for six years. And yeah. uh, uh, three years into that period, I met Pauline, That's who right. was... Um, I, but I, I got very close to all the people at the art college yeah. because of uh, the girl that I worked for. Yes. And uh, so, you know, I got invited to all the parties and they all used to come down to the shop and hang out. And then one day there was a party and I met Pauline uh, who was teaching at the college two days a week. Uh, she'd a trained fashion designer from the Royal College yes. of Art, and she uh, was married with two children, and uh, she was teaching in Nottingham for two days a week because that was convenient for the school holidays, so right. she could have the same holidays as her children. Yes. Uh, so she didn't have to have a nanny. Right. And um, uh, we, we met, we fell in love, and uh, eventually she came to, to live with me in, in Nottingham and gave up a lot, uh, left her husband. And, and came with the children and uh, at the age of 21 uh, she, I was still living at home with my parents then suddenly I had a, had a, a lady from London yes. two, a child five a child eight two Afghan hounds and two long-haired cats <laughs> <laughs> so and, and suddenly <laughs> so it was a bit of a, a big responsibility at 21. Huge, huge responsibility and massive shock uh, but in a delightful way yes. because as you probably know we're still together yes, and yes. um and so, it you know it was great, and 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 that was obviously probably one of the, that actual act of of meeting Pauline is probably the reason we're sitting here now talking yes. because you know she's always been my sort of inspiration yes. and my she was my 
teacher in a way I mean yes. not that I went to college but no, she but it, uh, you know she she because she was trained at the Royal College of Art in the 60s yes. well late 50s and early 60s um it was still the time that they were teaching uh, fashion in a couture couture way so it was yeah. very much about handmade yes. uh, the importance of quality yes. the importance of proportion and shape and how things were made and and that was just such an asset uh, in hindsight because there were a lot of good designers out there yeah but basically a lot of the clothes were really poorly made right. and um, a lot would get sent to a department store in in Paris or right. in New York and, and get returned because they were just Not great ideas but really badly made, whereas mine were always okay. Yeah. You know. So that first shop that you opened... That was in 1970. 1970. And it was a 12-foot square room that we called a shop. So the clothes that were in that shop were designed by you or Uh, by Pauline or sourced? Most of them were from people that were young designers that we knew. And then there were clothes made by Pauline. Yes. uh, Literally designed and made, physically made by her. And gosh, if I'd got some of those now, they'd be (laughs) delightful to have because they were so beautifully made. Um, and the shop itself, I mean, I'm interested because, you know, your, all of your shops have a distinctive look, which I think is clearly a reflection of your own personal view of the world and yeah. taste and eclectic kind of um, idea. What, what was that very first shop like? Was well, I mean, first of all, it was um, it, it, it came about because <clears throat> I was friends with uh, the tailor down the road who had a shop and I used to hang out with him every lunchtime and because I was so interested in tailoring yes. and cutting. So I used to, he used to be doing cutting out and I probably used to drive him crazy actually. But, and then I used to observed how things were being made and cut. And I used to say to him, oh, oh, I really want my own shop. I really want my own shop. And, you know, then I tried to find a shop, but then of course I had no money. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd probably got about 600 pounds or something saved up by working on my free day, which yeah. was a Monday, doing all sorts of jobs to earn some extra money. And then eventually he said, look, just have this back room. I've got a back room. You can have it and call it a shop. And we, we devised a way of entering it through a, through a little narrow corridor from a different street. And it was it was uh, had no shop window or anything. It was just a room, twelve foot square. What was it called? Was it called? Uh, and we called it Paul Smith. You did because I'd been working at the boutique, the other boutique, for six years for yeah. this girl, and so people knew me as Paul. Right. So it was just a very practical reason to yes. call it Paul Smith. And so we managed to put a sign outside and a sign at the end of the street. Um, and rather pretentiously said, Vetement pour homme. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and uh, it was only open on Fridays and Saturdays. Oh, right. So really a little uh, secret. Yeah. And uh, because I'd been to, well, Pauline had been to a, ne- uh, a lecture by Edward de Bono, the oh, lateral yes, thinker. Yes, the lateral and, and he said many interesting things. But one of the things he said was, the job always changes you and you never change the job. And how I interpreted that was that, the shop was my little room was full of clothes that nobody really wanted because they were so specialized yeah. and so unique yeah. that even in London they would have been pretty special, but in Nottingham they were very unique. Sure. So I thought, well, if I'm going to survive from this shop, the job will change me. I'll have to start selling clothes that I'm not really that interested in and right. that clothes that will end up being similar to the clothes you can already get in my hometown. Yes. So I thought, well, okay, if I do lots of other jobs Monday to Thursday, 
to earn a living because I got this newfound family. Sure. Um, and then opened the shop on Friday and Saturday. And um, the great thing about that was two things. One was that Monday to Thursday I did so many different things like freelance designing, styling, fabric designing, and, and pretty grim jobs like, you know, driving a van around and selling suits and yeah. um, selling cloth. and just. But it, the great thing about that was learning by doing it. Yes. It was a real apprenticeship. Of course, it yes. was fantastic. And so did you, I mean... And then the shop was open Friday and Saturday. And did it follow then that you, you started to study tailoring yourself at evening? That's right, yes, yes. Yeah, around that time. Yeah. So and this is your your reasoning. You thought, well, you know, the only way I'm going to really be fulfilled is to make my own clothes to the quality that I want to. Yeah, because, and also Pauline and I had such clear ideas of the designs we liked. Yeah. Um, and so wherever possible, we used to try and make clothes uh, with a little Paul Smith label in. Right. And then, um, and then because I was so interested in tailoring and because of the gentleman that, rented me the shop yeah he was a tailor and then i went to a, a night school and i i, I was um, privileged to uh, work with a, a tailor that had, was a military ceremonial is this dress. the savile row he he'd had so worked in savile row yes lynn croft and kill uh, well that was a one of my free, freelance jobs that right I did. okay yeah. Um, that was a that was a, a design job I did. Right. Uh, they were down in Kennington, and they were they, they were doing ready to wear suits. Right. Okay. So I was doing many many things. Um, I always describe it as the 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 shop was the purity that and that was the hand in front of your body and yeah. the hand behind your body was all these things that just paid the rent and sure. you learnt from and there were Means experiences. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the the great thing about Monday to Thursday was that. I didn't have to compromise with this little shop. Right. And eventually this little shop, because of no compromise, people heard about, and we used to come from Sheffield or Leicester or eventually from London, yeah. to, oh, there's this chap called Paul Smith and yeah. he's got this shop and you, you can get, you know, shirts that are all handmade and hand-embroidered. And I used to sell to quite a lot of the music industry. I'm sure, yes, yes. And so it sort of became like a, this little unique oasis yes. of, of special things. And, of course, I was travelling to London Monday to Thursday, so... Although they weren't coming to the shop, I'd put like three shirts in the car, and yeah. then because of my personality, yeah. I'd um, I'd say, oh, you know, I, I'm doing these shirts. Are you interested to somebody? And they'd buy one, and you know, so it was, it was very sort of hand to mouth, really. But but then, uh, Little Edrin, uh, 1976, you you designed your first collection, yeah. which you which you showed in Paris. That's right. And so that, that was, must have been a real pivotal moment. It was, yeah. I mean, and I'd been working for a shop in um, London for as, as one of the freelance jobs. I'd been working for a shop in London called Browns, which is in yeah. South Malton yeah. Street in London. And they, they sell all the sort of main labels from around the world. And also they'd employed me to do uh, to design and style for them with their own label, Browns label. And during that period, I'd got to know quite a lot of the buyers from department stores in America and, and, and different uh, in Japan and little boutiques around the world. And so I, when I started my own collection, which actually Pauline designed the first ooh, four years worth. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, I helped yeah, and sure. chose the fabric. Sure. And, but I was more of a sort of do a bit of everything man. And Pauline yeah. was the designer. Right. Um, uh, so when I first showed my tiny little collection in Paris, I 
used a lot of the contacts that I'd made through Browns. I used to ring up, you know, the the buyer from department store in New York and say, um, do you remember me? I'm Paul, who used to work for Browns, and I've got my own little collection if you want to come and look. And basically nobody did <laughs> to start with. Uh, and then the, uh, the first set, the first time in Paris, one one customer came on the final day. I was there for four days yes. selling from my bedroom. Right. Um, so I didn't have a showroom. I just, the little room in the hotel where I was sleeping, I put some sort of black felt on the bed <laughs> and laid out the things and sat there for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and nobody came. And eventually at five o'clock on Thursday, um, actually two customers came, one from America and one from France. And, um, and they bought something. So that was a start. And then it wasn't really until 77 that, you know, eventually I might, I started people started to sort of be a little bit interested in what yeah. I was doing. And when did it sort of really sort of kick off for it, you? It never really did. It, it's always been very gentle. Yes. And I think that's touch wood why it's been long. You yes. know, it has longevity because it's it's never been a, a flash in the pan. It's never yeah. been a, a sudden rocket, you know. So it, it's kind it, of incremental, sort yeah, of organic. I mean, you know, in 80, we... You know, in 79, I mean, these are all false figures, but let's say in 79, I did 2,000 pounds, and in yeah. 80, I did 3,000, yeah. you know, so, but it wasn't sort of 2,000 and then 20,000. Sure. Was, so it never was like a rocket. And it was always based on the hand in the front and the hand in the back, which yeah. means that, that, that the, the, the hand in the front was the purity of the shop in Nottingham and the collection, the tiny collection, with no compromise. And the 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 thing that really nobody knew about that I was doing was just all the other freelance jobs which so supported would, me. Would you say that you were a kind of cautious person, really, in terms of yeah. evolving a business? I was so many people go crazy and yeah. borrow masses of money and expand. we've never really borrowed money. So yeah. we're quite unique and we don't yes. have any borrowings at all. Yeah. And we own this building where we are and yeah. we own all our warehouses. So we've always been very. Practical, I suppose. And I don't think we've been. Uh, I think I'm not sure whether cautious is the right word. I think it's you know a lot of it. I think is because I've always been fortunate to have Pauline. Yeah, we're very still very in love. We're still very solid together. Mm. We still inspire each other. Mm. So you know, you're never really searching for anything particularly like oh i really want to be famous or I really want no, to I be th- rich. Or I think that those sort of relationships, those unique relationships with Isaac, which I think are very rare, where you have mm. not only someone that you're in love with, but you, you yeah. have a soulmate and an intellectual yeah. you know, partner is uh, a real rarity. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm sure in your, in your case it must have been a tremendous asset. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, she's the, the, she's the reason for me sitting here now, mm. absolutely. I well, mean, you know, I've got, I'm, I'm hardworking and mm. I'm, I've got my talent, but, you know, it's just that stability, that... The fact that she notices things and she's critical, but in a gentle way, mm. and and she's nearly always right, you know. Mm. Well, that's good to have that um, mm. honest sounding board because Absolutely. I'm sure in your position, as with many others who've got to you know the, the status and level, getting an honest response from oh, people that, around you is yeah, probably you, very difficult. I mean, so many so many uh, 
people in in every every industry not just creative industries are surrounded by subservience when exactly. they get to a certain point of their career and yes. it's so dangerous yeah. and in, and in certainly in fashion probably in other areas as well uh, they surround themselves with the you know the their personal assistants and their assistants and yes. they're in their ivory towers and their chauffeur driven cars yes. and and then you know they they're not replacing they're not getting the new young customer they're only taking their their age group along with them and then they suddenly look behind them and there's nobody there you know well I, as an aside i saw that documentary on versace recently on the which i think is a pretty good insight into that extreme yeah i haven't seen that but it's it's yeah. just hilarious yeah um, well, I mean, you know, over all those years, you've you built up an enviable global presence, really. I mean, you're in, I mean, obviously London, Nottingham. Mm. Of course, you've been very faithful to Nottingham. Paris, Milan, New York, Hong Kong, Singapore, Taiwan, the Philippines, Korea, Kuwait, the Arab Emirates. And you've got, you've got over 200 outlets uh, throughout Japan. Now, Japan has always been, <coughs> always embraced British fashion, or yeah. certain British fashion, I think classical um, uh, why do you think that is? What is it about the Japanese that... Well, I was... I, in 82, I was uh, invited to go there by... There was a Japanese scout, <laughs> I think they called him. Uh, he was... who were, he, he basically was a freelance uh, man who, who worked for big companies in Japan and he was in Europe to look for new talent. Mm. And he, he selected one from Italy, one from France and one from Britain. And I was the one from Britain. And in the end, the company that uh, chose me, uh, um, I was invited to go out to Osaka. And... Um, I think I think why it worked for me was the fact that I was so humbled by the invitation and to go to this place called Japan, which was so which I'd never thought I'd ever go to because it was costly, it was far away, it mm. was mysterious, mm. uh, and um, at that time a lot of other designers were being invited to go there uh, from Europe and from America. But in my opinion, a lot of them were very dis- disrespectful to the invitation because they just thought it as a, a money-making thing, mm. and, and that that you just uh, you go, you sign a deal, you earn some money, you send a few designs twice a year, and mysteriously, it uh, you know you make tons of money. Yeah. And many brands and many designers went and opened the you know the Japanese were very wealthy at that time, and they they were on this high, and and money was being thrown around very easily and you know so a designer would go and they'd open 10 shops and they'd get all this press and publicity and then four years later they'd be gone yeah and whereas I went and first of all I was with an Osaka based company not a Tokyo based company the other thing was they they only made tailoring they'd never made shirts knitwear they'd never opened shops they never advertised so they were very I was so fortunate that they were completely the wrong company and because (laughs) they were the wrong company and because I was so willing and so by that time quite experienced and so willing to go two three four times a year which other designers didn't do at all right and i was willing to go economy and i was willing to stay in a basic hotel yeah. and i didn't want to show for a different car yeah and we built it together you know we built it because i rolled my sleeves up and i really taught them about shops about showrooms about advertising about PR and I because of my personality as well I got to know quite a lot of people 
uh, eventually in Tokyo that were young stylists working for magazines. Right, okay. Uh, and they just, I, they just liked what I did. And so therefore it, it all gelled. And, and I've been going, you know, Every I've been eighty yeah. something times, and I've got. Well, I did. I, I saw a documentary, and I think you were in Japan, and you were talking to a that's right classroom, yes, which was actually yeah. very touching because I I wondered whether you you did that often, you know, I sort of telling your story basically to a lot of. Yeah, you know, I mean, I I tend, uh, at least once a year I try to uh, um, do a lecture at one of the uh, one of the schools. There and 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 last time I actually did it um, in a public public place. So I was asked to do um, a, a talk in a famous no theatre, mm. which nobody had ever used it ever before, apart from the theatre. Right. So that was quite a, a quite a, a privilege, and and it was a real sellout. I mean, it was fantastic, yeah. very exciting, um, and very humbling. You know, and yes. um, they do seem. Fair. I mean, certainly that documentary. The, Kids in that school were incredibly appreciative and dignified, and yeah. you know. And I think it's very much about the fact that I've always been down to earth yeah. and, and very able to communicate in a simple way, yeah. in simple sentences. Yeah. I mean, I get quite a lot of students come here to the room where we are now, and to yeah. the, the studio where I work, and and it's quite interesting. And I had a group from Austria, Austria and uh, we sat down, and there were about thirty of them. And uh, it was quite embarrassing because they, they got two of their lecturers there as well. And, and one of them said in front of everybody, he said, I've learned more in 45 minutes than I have three years at college. And I said, well, I'm really sorry about that to the lecturers. And, they, and then it turned out really that it was just that the, the, the language was simple. Yes. It wasn't about conceptualising the market research, know, or it was just about, yes. you know, the, the, there were just kids who just said, "Well, how do you order fabric?" Yeah. Or you know that just very. I, I totally agree. I mean, you know, we live in an age that's kind of steeped in jargon. Mm. You know, everyone's moving forward yeah. and and using all of these phrases. The which, bottom line, yeah, all the of ring that. fencing, and and yeah. it um, is depressing. Um, I probably know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask you anyway. How do you differentiate between work and home life, or are they seamless? I mean, how does it? I mean, work honestly is not work yeah. to me at all. Yeah. It's it's just a joy and a delight, and I'm very privileged from that point of view. And because I'm the boss, uh, and because we have no, you know, sort of heavy shareholders that are demanding more and more and more yeah. all the time you do have the opportunity to be very um spontaneous and very relaxed and then with home life i mean it's very much about pauline yeah. and us so i don't really talk about work at at is, all pauline you said earlier still there's a kind of sounding board but is she you know more involved in any way in a no she, she she was the other shareholder yeah. and then about three years ago she and my financial guy, they asked if if I'd be willing to let them sell their shares because they both got family that they wanted to sort of sure. give, take care of in terms of flats yeah. and houses and sure. things like that. And so I agreed to that. And then my Japanese partners are now um, the other the other shareholders. I've got the sixty yeah. uh, percent. Um, Pauline, so Pauline's not involved anymore. Um, she pursued her love of art, so she paints. She went to Byam Shaw School of Art, right. and then she went on to the Slade School of yes. Art, and she's got a, a studio at home. But I mean, 
she doesn't say anything, doesn't say anything, doesn't say anything, and then she'll just say one thing that is so correct. <laughs> uh, so, you know, she's still there without without her even probably realising she's still there. Well, you mentioned, uh, you know, art, and uh, the thing I've noticed over the years about your shops, you always have a lot of art in the shops, you know, yeah. maybe 1930s, 20s, you know, as in the Flora Street one. Yeah. We're surrounded in this building, your yeah. building, with so much art. Obviously, you're a great collector. You've, yeah, uh, I mean, I, I, was, I, I gave a very foolish answer recently at a talk um, when uh, it came to question time at the end when uh, somebody said uh, about my passion of collecting. And I said, well, actually, I'm not really a collector. I do have a large quantity of the similar or same things. But, oh, that is a collector, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. And what I meant was I do like, for instance, I've got a lot of art or I've got a lot of objects or silly toys or robots. Yeah. But I know nothing about them. Yeah. That's you, what I meant. They just appeal to you. They just, yeah. And, uh, and, you know, and that goes back to that word a, spontaneous. Yes. And there is a, there is a, um, certainly I, I remember in the earlier days when you had lots of these tin toys and things yeah. always, there's a kind of a, a slight nostalgia to a certain extent. Yeah, a little bit. What, what yeah. is, what? what I think uh, I, I, I think there's, there was more of a nostalgia. Yeah. I think there's less of one now. Yeah. Um, I think in the beginning it was just um, <clears throat> I like the idea of, of of mixing very modern clothes yes. with you know a, a sort of a collection of old corkscrews yes. or, or pen knives or well, something your window like that. displays are always very minimal but very witty. I mean the one I saw yesterday where you've got a T-shirt in one window in blues and you know broken paint lines and then in the other you've got a can of Dulux, Dulux paint in a very lovely sort of blue yeah sort of a, a Eve Klein blue that's right and it's very witty and I wondered you know how many people you know get that I, I know I mean we I I think our windows are really brave yeah they are because you know often I mean we've had often they have hardly any clothes or yes. no clothes uh, and um I mean, and those windows are across the world as well. So, you know, they are, we are pretty brave. I mean, yes. when, with all the rain we've had, we had a window recently where it, on the window it just says, due to, it just was a post-it note with no clothes. It says, due to inclement weather, we've all gone to the Cayman Islands. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, brave. But, I mean, the art and the collections, I think it stems back to my curiosity. I'm yes. a very curious person. Yes. I'm very childlike in my yes. approach to things and and i i like that i don't clutter my head i don't use the internet all the time or no. I, I, i'm very free so although you do have a blog for vogue i, I noticed uh, yeah and for you, paul smith as well a paul and, smith and blog. You, you comment on exhibitions and pieces of art or yeah. photography or things that have but that's just you. stuff i know just in my head un you unloaded yeah. onto that yeah yeah and my okay. own blog as well yes which is, yeah yes but i mean in terms of looking on the internet all the time yeah. i don't do that and also because of i think you i think the problem is that when we when you're so full of education or information it, it sometimes stops you from seeing and, mm. and 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 you be too you become too considered so like, how do you sort of unwind or refresh or well hopefully i never wind up you know so it's the opposite really yeah. it's just because i'm not really i never lose my temper and i never have arguments and i mean i've had i've lost my temper three times in my entire life or something you know so you know so you don't really need to unwind because you never really wound up you know you said of your own your own 
approach to to, to fashion. Uh, I give classics just a little kick. Do you, yeah. Do you still maintain that that's what you do? Yeah, I do. I mean, it's you know, it's yeah, just, little it's just, quirky button or yeah, whatever it, it might be. Yeah, I think that comes from the fact that I was never really trained as a designer. So my work at the beginning, obviously, it's, I'm more mature now in terms of a designer. But it, 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 in the beginning, I only really knew how to do classical clothes. Really, yeah. you know, simple. Yes. Cl- a shirt that the looked like a shirt. Right, yes. So you know, so the trick was to make a purple buttonhole or three different coloured buttons or something, or the inside of the collar to have flowers on it, or, mm. and because that was my way of being a designer rather than uh you know cutting a, a an unusual shape or a strange collar or something sure. so they, it was always classic with a twist really now you, i mean you have um, from what i gather um, 12 separate collections obviously that's right. they vary but, but i mean that's an enormous big work know, discipline i mean yeah. most most fashion designers are, are struggling to do their two collections a year, yeah. you know so, so how does that work with your team and with you well these as you say, it's 24 collections a year. So basically, uh, the the design floor is um, across the corridor and on the next floor below, mm-hmm. and I'm here. And then we literally, already this morning, I've had yeah. two meetings. So I'm just meet the assistant designers constantly, yeah. and um, I kick off the new seasons with, um, I'm, I'm thinking of... You know, the great Rothko exhibition I just saw. I love those deep, rich yeah. colours. So I want you to work around deep, rich colours. Yeah. And and then for the this one, I want to work around... You know, it's, each yeah. one is has got a loose theme, but not a very strict theme. It's only a theme, really, or, a, a, or an inspiration just to help guide them yeah. through the early stages yeah. and then we just see each other constantly and then we you know it's a matter of i i think that's really good but we should not do that in that tweed we should do that in satin and yeah. and um it, it, it's just a conversation constant really now i mean a lot of fashion designers over the years have moved into you know home products yeah i mean in a sort of bigger or smaller way is that is that an area that sort of interests you i mean we've We've done quite a lot of other things apart from just clothes. Yes, I, mean, cha- I think chairs. Yeah, I mean, we. I'm thinking um, on a big, bigger scale. You know, not. It's not something. For instance, homeware. We're not really that interested yeah. in it. Um, we tend to do things. I mean, we get asked to do things constantly, like hotels and cars and sure. phones and you know. And we, because I've got this very strong instinctive sort of way about me that I just know straight away yes I want to do it no yeah. I don't or I might meet the person once and I just think do I like the way this person is describing the the project because I can read into the fact that it's going to be a nightmare it's going to be lovely it's going to be dreadful it's just going to be too pretentious or too so, so do you have companies coming to you who want to buy into your label very much so and yeah. say we've got this product would you endorse it Const- constantly and do yeah. you, is that something you tend to well we we just we it's it's just instinct straight yeah, away yeah I mean, like I'd, like I've been working with this company from Denmark called Stelton, yeah. who uh, work, uh, I've been reworking the Arnie Jacobsen yes. uh, designs. Yeah. Uh, he he designed this line called Cylinder Line, which they make their stainless steel coffee pots and right. sugar bowls, and yes. and it's their fiftieth anniversary this year. Right. And uh, Stelton asked me if I would uh, like 
give it a new lease of life, really. Yeah. Which I was just so shocked and humbled by. It's brilliant. Yes. Uh, because, I mean, out of all the product designers, industrial designers, they could have asked around the world. And yes. they asked me. Well, that's <laughs> which I didn't yeah. know. You know, like, I'm a fashion designer. So that but was... But that's, well, that's quite a... I mean, I think that's an inspired uh, choice because, you know, why go to a product designer? Well, what, another what, what, take on... Yeah, I mean, and what was... Obviously, I was really delighted but slightly nervous because Jakobsen has always been one of my heroes and I I thought well what on earth can you do to something like that and people are going to get really angry with me if I you know you know try to twist what what the man's done so in fact what I did in the end was I just added color which is what I'm famous for anyway so so you know just the handle of the coffee pot was just suddenly available in 12 colors instead of just black and um Luckily, it's been a really huge success. There's a sort of connection going right back to that moment when you had your accident and your passion for cycling because you, you've been in recent years designing cycling clothes for is it, is it Rafa. Rafa yeah yeah yes uh, um yeah they're they're a company I, I mean that was that was uh what's so interesting I could have designed cycling clothes for for really huge companies yes. but it didn't appeal to me but Rafa are, are such purists really nice people yeah, and you're very, um, you know, you're very um, proud to work with them. So it was just a sort of instinctive thing straight away, you know. Like, uh, and what's been great about Rafa is that, you know, we're just doing it very gently. We're yes. not like doing a Portsmouth collection. Yes, yes. We're just doing, you know, two jackets, one hat, yeah. one, and then it'll if it works, it'll be a bit bigger and a bit bigger. So I noticed cycles in the building. Yeah, you, you, everywhere. Everywhere. Are you still cycling? I am. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, okay, well, we've, we've come to the end. I just right. wanted to ask you, really, what sort of advice would you give any young, I don't know, not so much these days, 15, because people don't leave school at 15 right. anymore, but young, young, young kids who want to follow in the world that you now inhabit, what sort of advice would you give them? I know it's always a difficult one. But well, the, 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 point is that, the point is that nobody needs another designer or another restaurant or another car or a car design you know nobody needs these things you know we don't need them but we all like them and want want to make new ideas and that so it's just a matter of saying well if how do i make an impression what what's my point you know so as a fashion designer or any designer is if there's so much product out there what's the point and when i started the point was that you could buy a a plain white shirt but it suddenly had three different colored buttons on the yeah the sleeve which has obviously been imitated by masses of people now so but there is often a way of doing something which is just eye-catching, interesting, special. Uh, so try and analyse what your point is, and you can do that by looking at your heroes and looking at the people that inspire you and maybe using that as a starting off point and then seeing how you can rework a bit mm. like I do with Arnie Jacobson mm. something that already exists, obviously not copying it but mm. reworking it. And the other thing is is the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday story, which is learning by doing it. Yeah. And so just work in a bar, work in a clothes shop, work in a product shop, just get out there yeah. as a young person and learn. Because even if you work in a bar, 
You say, well, why work in a bar? You know, I want to be a product designer. Well, if somebody comes in at six o'clock at night and wants a gin and tonic and there's no ice because you've forgotten it's left in it, you've left it all in the cellar, mm. then you're silly. Yes. So, you know, just working in a bar, getting organised, making sure all the shelves are filled, the lemon's there, the yeah. ice is there, that you know how to talk to people, you know how to deal with situations. It's all a learning curve. Yeah. So just get out there and do it. So it's really learning... Learning, learning by doing it. Paul Smith, thank you very much. Ah, thanks a lot. It was really lovely.